Well, if you have a Bible, I just want to give you some thoughts tonight that will help us to pray in a little bit. And I want to talk tonight about a spiritual principle that is crucial to our understanding of God's leading in our lives. And it's important for us to understand because it has a tremendous bearing on our willingness to trust the Lord. To trust the Lord, you have to be willing. God can't force you to trust. You have to be willing. You have to be willing to surrender yourself and put your confidence in Him. And there are things that God does, some of them difficult, that encourages us and incites us to trust Him. It comes out of our passage this morning. So if you have your Bible, and if you do, thank you for bringing it. Turn back to Acts chapter 7. We touched on this passage this morning, and in recounting Jewish history, Stephen uh, talks repeatedly about a truth that reveals something very uh, incredible about God's leading. And yet it is often the thing, until we reach the place of learning from our experiences and becoming very mature in our faith, what God does in our life is often the thing that we understand the least and we resent the most. You get that? What God wants to do to take us to greater faith, the way He often works, we understand it the least, we resent it the most, until we reach the place of great maturity with Him. Now, in the text, He lays out four Jewish men that were crucial to the, to the Jewish history, but who also were called and led specifically by God. He talks about Abram and, and Jacob and Joseph and Moses. Abraham was the father of the nation. Jacob became the face of the nation because his name was later changed to what? Tell me. Oh, come on. we got to do Bible 101. Jacob's name was changed to Israel, right? He had 12 sons that became the 12. See, you had a chance to redeem yourself, right? It gave you a second quiz. So there's Abraham who's the father of the nation. There's Jacob who's the face of the nation. There's Joseph who is really the deliverer of the nation, and there's a, or, or kind of the one that brings the nation and holds it together. And then there's Moses, who becomes the deliverer of the nation. And yet to get to that point, for them to fulfill those roles that God had called them to, God had to take them not to His nation, He had to take them to another nation. And He told Abraham, this is going to happen. We're going to read it in a minute. He said, I'm going to take your people in, into several different nations and into slavery. And I'm going to take your kids, Jacob, Joseph, and Moses, and I'm going to take them to Egypt, which is your arch rivals. You're going to enemy territory, because by going to enemy territory, I'm going to teach you how to trust me. Abraham started off, he was called out of where he lived, and God moved him from Mesopotamia, which, if you look at a map, is modern-day Iran. And he took them in a big arc over through the Chaldees, and he took him down into what would become Israel. But he said, before you take possession of this land, your descendants are going to go into slavery. I'm not going to give this to you right now. There's going to be some delayed gratification. You'll never see it fully realized. I'm going to delay, and I'm going to make your descendants go into slavery. And Joseph was the first one to go down to Egypt. Not because he wanted to, not because he says, I think I'll take a vacation. Egypt's nice this time of year. What happened to Joseph? His brothers were jealous because God was working in his life. 
his brothers were jealous because he was hearing from the Lord. There's always going to be jealous. Somebody's jealous of you if you're hearing from the Lord. Know that now. There'll be somebody that'll be irritated if you're in line with the Lord, you're hearing from the Lord, you're studying His Word, and you're calling on His name, and He's speaking to you, and His Spirit is moving. There's always going to be somebody that's fried by that, and His brothers were. So His brothers sell Him like a slave to the Egyptians. And He goes down there, has no idea what's going to happen. Those that can help Him forget Him, and yet, as He's accused and He's forgotten, God's still working His plan, isn't He? And then Jacob, who thinks his son is dead because the brothers went back and lied. There's such a bad famine in the land. He doesn't know God's already used Joseph to prepare not only to help all people, but to, tell, but to help his family. And they go down and the brothers go down. You know that whole episode in the middle of uh, Genesis 40 to 45? And he rescues his family. And there's reconciliation there. And they're all staying in Egypt. And then Moses goes down. This is on a return trip because Moses was born there. And the people had gotten so numerous that they had gone into slavery because there was a Pharaoh that didn't remember Joseph anymore because Pharaoh had, Joseph had favor with the first Pharaoh. But this Pharaoh didn't remember. So as the group, uh, the, the group of Israelis became bigger and bigger, he said, now we've got to squash this. We can't allow this because they're going to rebel and they're going to defeat us. They're bigger than us. So he puts them into slavery. And out of slavery, Moses is born. And then Moses commits a murder. And then he goes back into the wilderness. And for 40 years, he just sits there and watches sheep. But God says to him one day, you're going back down. You're going back to Egypt. You're going back to where you were born and where you grow up. And you're going to revisit a place that has a lot of bad memories, where you don't feel loved and where you're really not safe. And I'm going to give you just about the most impossible task that you can have. I want you to go up and confront the new Pharaoh, and I want you to tell him that I want my people out. This is not, oh, God's will is so perfect and wonderful, and I'm always happy, and everything's smooth and, and great, and I never have a trial. This is, this is visceral. This is harsh. This is, you're going to the place of greatest hardship. Now, none of them ever planned to go there, and none of them really wanted to go there. And while they were there, it wasn't exactly fun. For hundreds of years, it was slavery and famine and hardship and difficulty. But God had directed them there. And because God directed them there, He had a substantial work that He wanted to do in their lives and in the future of Israel. And that was how God was going to accomplish His plans. Now, how do we make sense of that? As believers, how do we rationalize that, that we are going to have problems that we don't have understanding of, that God intentionally takes us through, that are going to be harsh and difficult to us, that, that seem like God doesn't care, but it proves that He really cares. It doesn't make sense to us. When you love somebody, you, you treat them right, right? You, you take care of them, you nurture them, you give them the best that you can, you sacrifice for them. Well, well we know God loves us. We know God wants us to be full of confidence and joy and, and, and sense of His provision. So if He loves us and He's gracious and He's in control, if God's on His throne tonight and He's really, uh, really caring about us, here's the key question that so many people ask. Why does He allow us to go through problems? Why doesn't He just make it easy? Because we'd really trust if it was easy, right? Shake your head side to side. No, we would not. 
God intentionally allows us to go through problems. And not only does He allow it, here's the kicker. Sometimes He orchestrates it. Sometimes He says, not only am I going to let this happen, but I'm going to make it happen. God was not surprised when Joseph went to Israel. He was not surprised when Jacob went to Israel. He was not surprised when Moses went to Israel because he led all of them there. Now we can say, well, you know, God's sovereign. He's going to do whatever he wants and we don't deserve anything anyway. And that's absolutely true. But that doesn't really give us a lot of comfort just to say, well, God just does whatever he wants. And God says, I'm the God of all comfort. So there is a sense where God wants to comfort us. Or or we can get upset and we can say, well, God's unfair. And I shouldn't have to go through that. And that's that's not really loving of him to, to make me go through difficulty. And while that kind of gives us a little bit of emotional relief and seems to make a little bit of sense, God never said, you're not going to have any struggles. Show me the verse where it says, a believer will never have struggles. He says, in this world, you will have difficulty. In this world, you will have trials and hardships. And those are crucial to our maturation that He will provide more than we need. So how do we reconcile all this? We know God's loving and gracious and, and, and plentiful and He provides and He's merciful and He's slow to anger and rich in love and all those things we talked about this morning. We know that, but we also know that to get to be like Him, we have to go through what is very, very difficult. Why did these men go to Egypt? Why, to get to the promised land, did they have to start in the place where their enemies were? Now, this leads us, look at the text here, Acts chapter 7. This leads us to a spiritual principle that's so important for us to get tonight, especially as we go to prayer in a little bit. And it comes out of two sections of chapter 7. Uh, We're going to read both as fast as we can, because I know time is short. But start in verse 3 of chapter 7. In this light, I hope I can actually read. And let's hear what is said. Stephen said to him, excuse me, this is talking about Abraham, God speaking to Abraham, leave your country and your relatives and come into the land that I will show you. Then he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. From there, after his father died, God had him moved to the country to which you are now living. But he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot on the ground. And yet, even when he had no child, he promised that he would give it to him as a possession and to his descendants after him. But God spoke to this effect, that his descendants would be aliens in a foreign land and that they would be enslaved and mistreated for 400 years. And whatever nation to which they will be in bondage, I myself will judge, says God, and after that they will come out and serve me in this place. And he gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the twelve patriarchs. The twelve patriarchs, verse 9, became jealous of Joseph. Turn too many pages. And sold him into Egypt. But God was with him. Everybody say amen. And rescued him from all his afflictions and granted him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and made him governor of Egypt and all his household. Then a famine came over all of Egypt and Canaan, and great affliction with it, and our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that they had, there was grain in Egypt, he went with our fathers there for the first time. Now drop over to verse 30. 
After 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in the flame of a burning thorn bush. When Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight, and he approached to look more closely. And there came the voice of the Lord. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Moses shook with fear and would not venture to look. But the Lord said to him, Take off the sandals from your feet, from the place which you're standing is holy ground. I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt and have heard their groans, and I have come to rescue them. Come now, and I will send you to Egypt. From Abraham to Joseph to Jacob, there is nothing that follows the pattern that we would expect for someone who is supposed to be blessed by the Lord. None of it makes any sense from our understanding. And yet, this is the secret to how God leads. Here's the spiritual truth tonight. There are some things in our lives that God wants to do that can only be accomplished by us first going through difficulty. There are some things that God wants to do in your life right now that He can only make happen by taking us through difficulty. And even though we may not want to hear that tonight, it explains so many things about how God works in our lives and how He directs our steps. Because our default expectation is that the path should be somewhat easy. All right, Lord, little bump here and there, little 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 speed bump in the road. Okay, I take that little trial. Okay, that's fine. But but Lord, you know it should be pretty easy. Uh, you know I'll stay humble. I promise. I'll be dependent on you. I promise. Just just really. Don't give me much because someone that trusts in you like I do shouldn't have a lot of strain. And even though we cognitively know that's not true, there's still this underlying disillusionment. And believe me, the enemy loves to push this. He loves to promote this. There's this underlying uh, disillusionment when things aren't easier that we're having to spend more time in Egypt than we are in the promised land. That can be true with your job, can be true with health issues, can be true with your marriage, relationships that have gone sour, or family struggles, or church problems, or whatever. And it's fed by an uprising of self. It's fed by this, this demand that we have in our mind that we get our way. And if we don't deny that and mortify that each day, it's going to control and stunt and damage our faith. Because our first thought Right? Tell me if this is right. Our first thought when we face difficulty is, that's not really what I want. I, I would prefer, Lord, that you don't do it that way. Cut me a little slack here. Get, give me a little bit of rope so, so I know that, that this is going to be okay. But here's the thing. The Lord's more concerned with what we need than with what we want. He's not really concerned in heaven tonight about what Rhodes wants. He's concerned about what Rhodes needs. My dad grew up in a strong Christian home by two very disciplined German parents. My grandfather was a pastor and a lawyer. He taught at Temple University until he was 80. My grandfather, a grandmother was very sensitive to the Lord. She had a huge heart for people. But when my dad was in junior high, he was not living right. Smoking two to three packs a day, running with the wrong crowd, getting into fights. He got arrested. I know, my dad. Can you believe it? Hopefully he will listen to this tape. No, he knows. And he caused my grandparents a great deal of heartache. 
So they made a tough decision. Just about broke my grandmother. They sent him off to military school. Now I'm pretty sure that wasn't his first choice. But when he was there, he learned about discipline and ethics, and he played on the football team, and he earned several honors, and he graduated at the top of his class. When he was in military school, he went one night to a church in Philadelphia called the Church of the Open Door. And there was an evangelist talking, and he preached about salvation and about the gospel, about Jesus Christ. And my dad gave his life to Christ. Sixty years later, my dad's still preaching the Word of God. Thousands, tens of thousands of people have come to Christ because of that. Now, could that have happened if his parents didn't send him to military school? Absolutely. God's sovereign. But I have to think that contributed to what was going to happen in his life because sometimes we have to go to a different place of learning to really get the point, right? So my dad could have been the juvenile delinquent that he was, and God might have rescued him and saved him. Depends on your theology how you think that goes. But the point was, they had to say, this has got to stop. You've got to go somewhere difficult so that your life will be easier. Now the Lord has lessons He wants to teach us. And there are some rough spots that He wants to refine in us. And faith that He wants to increase in us. And the only way that's going to happen is by going through trouble. Because we could not and would not learn them any other way. This is a spiritual truth. That, that, that blessing usually comes through hardship. Some of you in this room have delivered babies. Some of us have stood by and watched. And unless you are just a miracle of science, that delivery to bring that baby into the world was not easy. It was difficult and challenging. Maybe they had to open you up. Maybe you had problems. Maybe there were complications. I don't know. But, but you could not deliver that baby without going through the trial that you went through. But when you went through that trial, what did you receive? You received the blessing, right? God wants to give birth to new faith in your life and my life tonight. He wants to give birth to a fresh understanding of His provision. And to do that, we have to go through things that we try to avoid that we're adverse to, and yet God says, I'm purposely going to take you through this so you will get the point. And to make sure that we don't feel sorry for ourselves and we think this is all unfair, all we have to do is look at Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Because was his life wonderful and peachy keen? No, of course not. He was opposed and rejected and isolated and misunderstood and people turned their backs on him and he died in extreme pain. So when the Bible says, let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him humbled himself and made a complete commitment to the plan of God, how do we think we're ever going to get that mindset if we're not willing to go through the same thing? We've talked about it before. Just about every significant person in the Bible went through a little desert to shape their character. Now, how do we think that we're going to become like Christ and learn to trust fully in the Lord unless we go through that? The mark of spiritual maturity is learning the value of Egypt. The mark of spiritual maturity is learning to say, Lord, I get it. You have to do that to shape me and refine me. Now, let's draw it to a close. How do we know how the Lord provides and what are we supposed to learn and do? We'll look back at verse 6 for a minute. 
Because the Lord says that Abraham's descendants are going to be aliens in a foreign land. He says you will be mistreated. And while there's no reason given in the text why God would do that, there was a greater purpose to it. Because when we jump from verse 6 to verse 30, generations later, Israel has grown huge. There are now 12 tribes, Joseph and his brother, and there's a new Pharaoh in charge. And as I said earlier, the Pharaoh doesn't remember Joseph. He doesn't have any advantage now. And he starts to oppress the people, and he starts to make them slaves. And for years, Israel's in bondage, and they're mistreated, and they don't do anything about it. They don't fail. They don't register in their heads. We need to call on the Lord. We need to cry out to God. And they're completely miserable and helpless. How many of us know that when we don't call on the Lord, that's where we're going to be every time? We will be miserable, and we will be helpless, and we will be insecure, and we'll be frustrated. One day, verse 29, Moses, who's an alien in the land of Midian, who fled Egypt, he's living as a nomad, not knowing God's about to put something life-changing in his life. One day, an angel comes to him and says, you're going to go back to Egypt and you're going to get the Israelites out. Now, after all these years, I want you to get this. Why, after all those years, did God suddenly say, it's time. Time to go get my people out. For 40 years and more, they were struggling. For decades, they're being oppressed and hurt and and their lives are difficult. So why now? Well, the text tells us something, that, that there, was, there was something that happened that precipitated God making this move. Notice in the text, look at it, that Moses sees an angel in the fire of the burning bush, and then he hears God identify himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Just a reminder of his presence, just a reminder of how faithful he's been in the past. And then he says, Moses, this place is sacred. This is holy because where I am is a holy place. You need to humble yourself before me. But then we get to verse 34. And that's the one that really addresses what God wants and how he leads. He says, I've seen the oppression of my people in Egypt and I've heard their groans. Keep your place there just for a minute. And turn back to Exodus chapter 2. And let's see when this actually happened. Exodus chapter 2. And I want you to see verses 23 to 25. Got to get a bigger Bible. Now it came about in the course of those many days that the king of Egypt died. And the sons of Israel sighed because of the bondage. And they cried out. And their cry for help because of their bondage rose up to God. So God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the sons of Israel. And God took notice of them. The groaning was the people of God finally coming to the place of saying, we need to cry out to God for help. And it says in the text that when they did that, 
God took notice of them. But God's always watching, right? God, God never slumbers or sleeps. We know that He's can, when we go to bed tonight, He's going to be watching over us like a father watches over children. Sometimes I walk in my kids' room and just watch them sleep. Just, just look at them and show, and just, just love them and just look at their little faces and, and think about how they've grown up. I, I, I don't want to go to bed sometimes. I just want to watch them. We know God never does that. But here's something extra. When we cry out to Him, He pays special attention to us. Now, if you've ever thought, well, prayer doesn't matter, doesn't make a difference, I don't know why we bother to do that, it it, it doesn't have any effect. All you've got to do is read these verses. Because when we cry out, God says, oh yeah, I'm watching now. You made me pay attention. I see what's going on. You're looking for me for help? Oh, you got it. You got it, absolutely. He's waiting for us to call. And when we call, He acts. So why don't we call more often? See, the first reason, let me give you these two thoughts and we'll pray, I promise. The first reason why the Lord allows us to go to Egypt, you can turn back to Acts 7, is because when we're broken and in need, we cry out to Him. Difficulty usually leads to prayer. Difficulty usually leads us to say, Oh Lord, I need You. And God loves it when His people call on Him. So if we're not already doing it, He's going to put us in situations that will cause us to call on His name until we learn his, its value. And then that, that shows, that proves how much God loves us, that He's willing to take us through that kind of difficulty to draw us closer to Him. Because the Israelites are so self-sufficient. They're always crossing their arms. God, we don't want to go that way. We don't want to listen to Moses. We don't want your law. We don't want to eat your manna. We don't eat your quail. It's not enough. It's too much. Put the water out of the rock. We're, we're sandy. We're sore. People are dying. We're tired. Come on, Lord. Get us there. And each time God works, they cross their arms more. But here is what is so amazing about the Lord. Look back at Acts chapter 7. He says, when my people groan, this is in verse 34, I am coming down to rescue them. And he sends Moses, and they start to see God's hand, and they start to get confident, and they start to get fire in their souls, and resolve, and then God sends the plagues, and the people say, "Mm, you ain't seen nothing yet, God's about to work. And then when God says one night, you need to kill a lamb, and you need to put the blood on your doorpost, because my angel's coming over tonight, and he's going to kill anybody that doesn't have blood on the doorpost. The people finally come to the place where they say, Lord, we trust you. We trust you. We're going to do that. Israel started to pray in Egypt, and they started to pray because of Egypt. Second reason, and I'm done. The Lord allows us to experience difficulty because He gives us a greater understanding and appreciation of His power. Israel had nothing. They were aliens in the land. They were persecuted. They had no strength, no weapons, no leverage. They were being oppressed. They cried out, and God sent a deliverer. But go back to verse 34. First, before Moses came, God says, I'm coming. I'll send Moses. He's coming. He'll be there soon. But you know what? I'm coming first. I'm going to come down and rescue my people. 
Listen, if prayer isn't effective and it's not important, and God doesn't really respond when we pray, I thought about this this week as I was driving, then why does the enemy oppose it so much? Why is the first thing that a church drops in its programs prayer? Oh, we'd never dream of not having a youth group. We'd never dream of not having worship. We'd never dream of not having a dinner. We'd never dream of not having women's ministry. We'd never dream of not having Bible studies, although some churches do. But, but we would never dream of any of that. But when you start talking about prayer, people go, oh. Listen, what does the devil promote in churches, and what does he discourage? He will always promote, listen now, what brings attention to us. And he will always discourage what causes us to be dependent on the Lord. Always. It's an incontrovertible truth that you can live by. Whatever the devil promotes, you want nothing to do with. Whatever the devil doesn't want you to have any part of, that's what you should be part of. He knows how powerful it is when God's people pray, and he knows how God responds to it. So he opposes it and says everything else is a greater priority. I can't tell you how many different layers of spiritual warfare I went through this week. And I know some of you did too. It it was hundreds of different ways. Little, tiny, subtle things, big things, controversy, arguments, struggles, health issues, cars that wouldn't start. I mean, it was an unusual week. And I'm old enough now in my faith to know that that wasn't a coincidence. Because when you as a pastor say, hey, we need to pray, the devil goes, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not going to allow that. So he keeps hitting and discouraging and persisting, but that's not going to stop us. Because we know that when we call, God answers Israel finally gets out, and they go to the Red Sea, and their backs are against the wall. And what do they do? We need a prayer meeting. (laughs) (laughs) Moses, we're going to die. You know what they say? It would have been better for us to stay in Egypt. And God says to Moses, stretch out your hand. And say to the people, stand back and see the salvation of God. And the waters part and there's dry ground. And they walk through it. Some of you need to see the waters part tonight. You're in difficulty. And you're looking at it and you're going, I can't understand it. I don't know why God's doing this in my life. And I don't know what He wants to teach me. I've got to tell you, He wants to teach you something so profound that He's letting you go through that. And if you will look back at your life and remember all the Egypts, all the times when you were struggling, where God has saved you. We all were once in bondage to sin, and God didn't leave us alone. He came and He rescued us. We were impure. We were controlled by self. We wanted nothing to do with righteousness, and God transformed our minds. We, we struggled, we were hurt, we wondered where the Lord is, and God met us and delivered us and brought us back to joy. Every single person in this room has experienced the love and provision of God when we needed it. So what does God want? He wants a people and a church that will call on Him.
And when we call on Him, and when we trust Him in those times of difficulty, God says, I will work. If you have a living faith in the living God, God will work. He will work. And He wants to work in some of our lives tonight. I want you to bow your heads just for a minute. Parker, would you come play something? And and I want us to just get before the Lord right now. Just get before the Lord right now. What is God taking you through right now? What's He allowing? What's He orchestrated in your life right now? Are you resentful about it? Did you come tonight with a little chip on your shoulder? Kind of a little annoyed? Hoping you'd get some encouragement? Really not wanting to hear this message. Frustrated, angry, bitter, hurting, whatever the case may be. You walked in tonight a little frustrated with the Lord that He's allowing this. Let me tell you, this is Egypt. And Egypt has some great benefits. Because you can't get to the promised land without going through Egypt first. And He'll deliver you out of it. He'll provide the way He did for everybody. Or maybe tonight you're about to face in Egypt. You don't even know it yet. Maybe I'm about to face in Egypt and don't even know it yet. Not that we wish bad things on each other, but at some point there's going to be crisis. At some point there's going to be hardship. Whether the enemy causes it or God allows it, doesn't matter. How are we going to respond? What are we going to do when that happens? Tonight, maybe you just need your faith stoked. We've talked about it for weeks. Lord, increase my faith. Mm -hmm. Fill me with your spirit more and more. You've heard those words, but they've just kind of gone in one ear and out the other. God is so faithful and He's so sufficient. And He loves us so much that He's willing to take us sometimes through difficulty so we'll be more like Him. I want to encourage you right now, where you are, talk to the Lord. He knows what's on your heart already, but you've got to own up to it. feel led as we're praying you want to come up to the altar and you just want to kneel and pray you want to say Lord I need help tonight I need somebody to come around me and pray for you we've got people from the prayer band Randy, myself, will come pray for you just get up out of your seat nobody's looking, doesn't matter if they are this is not about them, it's about you and the Lord just come up and kneel at the altar and somebody will come up next to you and pray for you you don't have to not a show. But what God's what is God taking you through right now? What is He asking of you? And are you ready to trust Him no matter what? Oh, God has such great plans ahead for us. He knows the plans He has for us, and they're 
so much greater than we could ever imagine. He knows the plans he has for this church. Every day I feel more and more dependent. Lord, lead us. Show us what we need. I don't know what I'm doing. Show us, show us what you want from us. So this is just the time for you and the Lord. This is just the time for you to talk to Him. We're just going to take a couple minutes. Just in quiet.